0: Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tisch. This is where we talk about what we didn't get to talk about. When I was 10 years old, I was at a summer camp, and that was the first time I attempted to water ski. And the instructor said, hang on to this rope. And then there was a left ski and a right ski. And I thought, how hard can it be? It's just three things. And as I soon learned, as I was dragged face first behind this ski boat, I was in over my head quite literally and figuratively and that's what's happening on this week's podcast i have not one not two but three guests Jake kim josh fox and bobby williams all here to talk about week two of our sermon series how not to read the bible where we're going to explore the question is the bible pro-slavery obviously it was used in our nation's history to justify slavery but is it and where did that question come from and how do we answer it we're going to delve into that question and more on this week's Afterward. All right, guys. Well, welcome to the Afterward. Look, this is unprecedented. I don't have just one guest, not two guests. I have three guests on the show today: the J. Kim, Josh Fox, and Bobby Williams. All three of which, uh, all three of whom preached this last weekend uh guys thank you so much for being here uh we're here on week two of how not to read the bible we're going to delve into a really kind of a an easy non-controversial topic is the bible pro-slavery so we're light so uh thank you guys for being here for such a simple topic <laughs> <laughs> easy simple yeah so uh let me let me ask you this uh it seems to me that there are two kind of things going on here um and and two issues one general one specific Uh, and the general one as you guys uh jay you preach at saratoga um josh and bobby at south hills um then bobby is one of uh, our communicators who speaks to the youth he's one of the directors there over both the junior high and the high school at south hills campus um one of the things that it does seem is that that's happening here is that um as humans we just want to do what we want to do and sometimes we make the bible say what we want it to say and in the words of john Ortberg, it's a good thing that the bible is such a big book he said that in reference to people cherry picking verses and making the bible say what they want it to say uh, part of part of this issue of slavery and in and, and, and part of the chapter that kimball writes is that what's going on here jay
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that's why Dan Kimball wrote the book. It's certainly why we're doing this series at the church. You know, like Ortberg says, the Bible is a big book. It's a big, giant library of 66 books written over 1,500 years by 40 plus authors, three different languages in ancient cultures that are not our cultures. And, uh, you know, on the other side of the globe, I mean, there's so much literal distance between us and this text Um and yet because it's broken up into chapters and verses uh it gets super easy for us to just cherry pick and um, you know yeah. that's not only a bad reading of the bible it can it can have like really dangerous ramifications as we've seen already throughout the series so the the other side of it the good side of it though is like we as a church are doing this and other churches are doing it too so i'm really hopeful yeah. that you know, it's six weeks of sort of shifting our paradigm in terms of how we read the Bible and engage the Bible is going to have some real powerful transformative effect uh, and impact on our lives.
0: Bobby, you and I were talking the other day and used a term which I hadn't actually heard before. And I thought it was really provocative. You said that sometimes folks weaponize the Bible. Um, and in that you were saying that they kind of use scripture as a as a get out of jail free card, as a, as a way to do what they want, as a way to co-opt authority. What did you mean by weaponize the Bible? And where have you kind of seen, where have you seen that happen in, in Christianity, in, in, in your interactions as, as a pastor?
2: Yeah. um, So weaponizing the Bible is just, like you said, using the Bible to exercise some sort of authority um, and, Basically trying to come at it from a position of advantage and then to maintain that advantage um, Mm -hmm. and and marginalize and oppress other people by using God's word. And um, I've seen it, you know, um, countless times um, just in passing people, um, people using God's word to say to to force their own agendas or to push forward their own agendas and knowing that. Uh, those those things can't really be disputed because it's it's claimed to have been coming from God right and I'm using I put I use quotation fingers because I'm good (laughs) at podcasting Um, but just you know just they they use they use like Jay said they take and pick and choose things that help justify their their actions and their thoughts and their um, the way they feel and and use the Bible ultimately to take advantage of others. And so yeah. that's kind of web to me, that's weaponizing the Bible, just using it as a way to hurt other people.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Uh Not, it's not just weaponized though. In addition to weaponizing, there's a sense of, sometimes we use the Bible to justify our own behavior. Fox, you've been, you've been a pastor for a while now. You've probably seen people justify their own bad behavior uh, whatever they want to do by, by kind of weaving in and out of, of scripture. But have you, have you seen that? Have you seen people try to use the Bible to justify um, themselves, not just to weaponize, but also to justify?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I come across this all the time, especially in a culture today where I think the predominant theme or message that's being preached by secular culture is if it feels right for you, it's got to be right. And if it goes against any kind of desire in your heart that you want to express, if it's saying no to that desire, it must be wrong. So in other words, like yeah. in this kind of culture, when you're living and breathing this sort of cultural air, you know, it's hard not to just kind of go along with that and let it influence you. And all of a sudden when the Bible comes at us and actually critiques us or reads our life or calls us into kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, confronts us, which the, the Bible often does, right. um, we can all of a sudden go, wait a second. No, this doesn't feel right because it's going against what feels, uh, what I want to do from, you know, with, with my, with my body, my life, my sexuality, my whatever. And so all of a sudden we can go, well, you know, I don't really want to read the parts that are uncomfortable or that are critiquing me or that are calling yeah. into question some of the choices I'm, I'm wanting to make based on my emotional reality or desires and so instead, um, I'll grab a verse like, well, you know, the Bible says don't judge. So don't judge me while I pursue this life or while I think this way or while I treat these people this sort of way. Um, you know, and, and, and it's like when we're kind of confronted with that, it's like, well, no, no, the Bible says don't judge. And the Bible is all about Jesus loving everybody. So so as long as we're doing that, I think we're OK. And yeah. I think that's where we go sometimes as Christians today it's why we do that. I think it's because it's easier to do that. Uh, we don't take as much flack or criticism from, uh, from, you know, people around us, the predominant culture around us. This is, that's, that's mostly, you know, post-Christian now in America. And it's just easier to go, yeah, you're right. Kind of whatever feels fine to you. That's that, that, that seems like it's gotta be the way to go. That's what God would want anyway, probably at least that feels right. So we, again, instead of weaponizing the Bible, we go, eh, we kind of use it to, um, yeah, exactly what you're saying, like back up what we really want to do. And then, you know, kind of, I guess, sort of bathe it in scripture to say, look, I'm fine. You know, at least I'm, you know, as long as I'm loving people and and not hurting anybody, it's probably great.
0: Yeah. You guys seen that too?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what Bobby and Josh just said is like great synopsis. Of the two polar opposite ends of the of the same spectrum, which is all the spectrum is the spectrum of individ, individualism. Yeah, it's just like what well, Bobby's talking about weaponizing. People use the Bible as a sword, you know. Um, and and they sometimes they'll use a verse like, "Yeah, but the word is supposed to like it's it's a sword. It's supposed to cut, you know, through soul and spirit." But what that verse intends is that it's like the spirit of God that. Um speaks the words of life and cuts to each and every one of us. But people use it like a sword like of that they wield themselves, you know, to cut others down. or what Josh is saying, mm-hmm. people use the Bible as a shield, like a personal shield to deflect any sort of judgment or criticism that comes against their life in a way that forces them to reevaluate the the direction or orientation of their life. and, You know, I mean, I I think some of that gets into our loss of communal reading of the scriptures and a sense of the scriptures, the Bible as a communal text, you know, like we, the printing press 600 years ago was such a gift because it put Bibles in the hands of individuals and it put Bibles in every home. And most of you listening right now have seven Bibles at home that are just collecting dust on the bookshelf. I mean, we have more Bibles than we know what to do with. And so now we just, because there's so much Bible, like physical Bibles, we just like take it for granted. And it's just like, hmm. eh, whatever, you know, I, I have a little verse on my coffee mug and that's my scripture for the day. And that's great having a verse on the coffee mug, but we've lost the sense of a community of people gathered around the word so that the word can shape not just me, certainly shape me, but also shape us together you know, as the community of God. It also creates, I think reading in community creates um, uh, like boundaries that allow us to be free. And I know that sounds paradoxical, but like, there's actually a lot of um, research that's been done in in the field of social science and and child psychology in particular, tons of research. You can just Google this where they've done these studies where like, if you put kids on a on a playground that has no boundaries, then the kids actually get they, they they atrophy. They like they get paralyzed by by the lack of boundaries, and they usually will just play in one place and not move. But the moment you build boundaries around a playground, kids come alive and they just start running free all around because they know. They have clearly delineated lines that tell them this is safe and this is good. And outside of this is not, you know, Uh, and and I think it's like that when we, we get to the Bible and we think it's just about me. We have no communal boundaries. And so I just pick and choose the Bible verses that I like. And sometimes I weaponize it and wield it as a sword to cut people down. I like the way Bobby said it. We use it as this sort of, to hold authority over others and people mistake the authority of the scripture to mean personal authority. No, like Christians are people, men and women and children who come under the authority of God through yeah. the spoken yeah. word of God, mm. and the embodiment of the word of God, who is Jesus. The authority of scripture is not like your individual authority to lord it over other humans. That, that's why you know Josh had this great verse he suggested for the teaching this past weekend. Uh, it was perfect. Philippians two, when it talks about Jesus himself who in very nature was God, but he like becomes a slave. He becomes a slave for us. That's the Jesus ethic,
2: you know? Mm.
1: And, and and what Josh said about basically using Bible verses as a shield to protect ourselves from criticism uh, or, or, um, Uh, you know, critique of our particular way of life. And that's like, I love the way Josh said it. The Bible isn't just meant to comfort us. That's 99% of the reason why most of us read the Bible. The reality is much of the Bible isn't there to comfort. It's there to confront. It's there to confront the brokenness and the sin, the stuff that is dehumanizing in us. And I think that kind of stuff comes alive the most in the context of a healthy Uh, Christian community. So Mm. yeah, I I love what Bobby and Josh just said.
0: Man, there's a lot in that. It it, it feels like there's that, there's that, you know, what is that verse in, uh, in Judges in chapter 21, it said, you know, that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Mm. It feels like that's kind of what what you're talking about this individualism. And um, what are some of the other safeguards that you guys have? So, I mean, look, if, if Jay's right and, um, it, not just Jay, all of you guys are right. And and this is a tendency in us to read into the Bible what we want, to either weaponize it, to use it for our own benefit, or to use it as a justification, as a shield against criticism. Then how do we prevent that? Jay, you said community, reading in community with other people. Are there Are there other things that you guys have found that help you avoid the trap of that kind of doing whatever's right in your own eyes, reading into the to to allow the scriptures to prophetically confront and shape and transform. What are some other things that you guys, um, you, in addition to community, as Jay said, what are some other things that have helped you, Bobby? What do you got?
2: <laughs> I don't know. I was hoping one of you guys would go first so I can I can <laughs> steal an answer. Um, I think for me it just it comes back to the, the, the source, the foundation, and just the understanding that I, I am fallible. I'm, I, I make mistakes. And so if I am, if I find myself leaning one way more than the other way, it's, it, it has, there has to be that course correction. And I think, um, checking in regularly, just really being open, checking in regularly w- with God and just really being open to receiving his, uh, his discipline, um, helps out a lot. Uh, you know, if I, if I find myself using it, like we've been talking about the sword and shield kind of metaphor this, these last couple of minutes, if I find myself using it more to, um, strike people down and gain those advantages, just, um, God usually is good about sending, you know, someone my way to make sure that I get that. That uh, that 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 medicine, right? That I get straightened out. Whether it whether it be someone else kind of doing the same thing to me, or someone kind of you know, hey, you did this, and I didn't really appreciate you you doing that. And so then, it, it, two things happen. It, I mean, with both of them, it 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 causes me to reevaluate what I'm doing and really take a harsh look at myself. So. Um, just when, when I find myself leaning more one way or the other, um, just really checking into and getting back to what has kept me grounded for so long, which is uh, God and his, uh, his discipline for my life. And just understanding that uh, I I have veered off course. Mm -hmm. So what I love about what Bobby's saying is
3: just the the humility that he's having, you know, that he's talking about like the humility of saying, look, I'm fallible. God. Um, I also love this about Bobby and just his sensitivity to let, let God be God in his life. You know, I mean, if we're honest, I think our tendency is to, to make ourselves God and to take things into our own hands. That's part of the problem here. And so what Bobby is saying is so crucial that saying, Hey, I'm not God. Um, I don't, I don't know, uh, what's right exactly, or I I can't quite trust my feelings that they're fallible, but I can trust God's word and I can trust God speaking through the community of believers. I can trust, um, the Holy spirit in me to show me. And so there's, a, there's gotta be a humility there. And that's what I love about what Bobby's saying and a willingness to be surrendered to God's way, not my own or not what culture seems to say is right. Um, I, I just the beauty of being able to come back and say, Lord, there is a way uh, well there's a way that seems right to a man the scripture says but in the end it leads to death and and so going lord my way is going to lead to death what is your way is going to lead to life abundance life to the full flourishing what what would that look like for me to align myself with that um i think another thing that helps is and this our listeners know this but just knowing the whole scripture right like we're talking about cherry picking well one way to come against that is to really get into the the entire Bible and Westgate's got a great opportunity with a class where we're going through the whole Bible. For those of listeners who haven't done that, that's a great way to get yourself really familiar with the entirety of the narrative so that, you know, we can kind of keep, come against some of this erroneous sort of, you know, conclusions that we come to. And then I think also looking back on, you know, thousands of years of history, specifically the last 2000 years and going, all right, how have faithful men and women followed Christ? Of course, not perfectly. Uh, we've done atrocious things (laughs) in our history, but as we look back, how have faithful men and women interpreted and followed and embodied the scriptures in a way that, you know, propelled the kingdom of God, the message of Jesus, the the love of God throughout history, what can we learn from them? What did they hold to and learning from that? I think that's a great safeguard as well. Um,
0: those are a few things, man. And it's interesting. Um, I think what you guys are all talking about is just this word humility, um, which is, uh, it feels to me like a fundamental posture of a disciple is if we're supposed to be disciples, there's a master and that master is above everything and everyone. And these scriptures are, uh, he is the living word and these scriptures are um, the story about him. So that's, it feels like that is kind of what you guys are, are all saying that humility is an essential posture. Um, in reading scripture humility both in seeking josh as you said voices from across history trusted um trusted teachers and then bobby just you know the posture before god and then also the reliance that knowing that god is going to god will not give up on the work that he has completed in us and sometimes that's that's painful um that's 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 fabulous now let's get to the uncomfortable part of this which is um when when Christians get it wrong, when people get it wrong. And that's the specific issue that Kimball's trying to address in the book, which was that in our own history in the US, the Bible was used to justify the Civil War. It was used to justify Jim Crow, segregation, the supremacy of the white race over all other races. That's an unfortunate reality of that. Um, uh, my son is, is in the middle of American history, and one of the things they were doing was reading the battle hymn of the republic. And, and this is a this is a fascinating um, poem that was sung by the northern soldiers. They're they're basically saying that they are righteous, and God is unleashing His wrath against the South for being in direct violation of of His righteousness. And the South, of course, is preaching that they are in God's righteousness; that slavery is ordained. Um, and that's that's just an unfortunate reality in our own U.S. history. Knowing that, and Bobby, I just want to ask you just as a as a black man who's an American, how does it make you how do you process the fact that the bible your Bible, the Bible that you read and preach and teach not only to your family but to the to the youth and to other folks was used for that reason how does how do you process that
2: very carefully um it is like it's hard, right because we we look to the bible and the you know it's like jesus when he made the new covenant covenant it was you know it spoke of love you know love your neighbor uh love and so um it's hard to to have to reconcile you know this this new this new covenant which is all about love and loving people and then you get to the the part the ugly parts the parts that we don't necessarily um we don't necessarily talk about a whole lot and know and know that those are be we used to justify subjugation of an entire group of people mm-hmm. um you you kind of you you I think you accept that it happened and you you go okay this is a th- this is a thing that happened it obviously happened it's it's not the best look but how can we How can we learn from this going forward? How can we um, how can we make sure that people are getting the actual truth of the Bible um, instead of just, you know, the things that they the things that they want to hear, but getting the whole entire truth and then taking that truth and using it to benefit people going forward like there. We cannot go back and undo what was done. I guess what i'm trying i don't know it's hard and mm-hmm. um, yeah. to have to have people you know use that as a justification for a horrible act just it, it lets me know that they they aren't really students of the bible like they're not really mm. um getting they're not really getting the context and understanding the whole thing they're just using that little piece to yeah. to do terrible things and so mm. I would just say, yeah, we have to we have to go back and just really um, start with that new covenant and just and go from there and just really start to branch out and be about a message of love like Jesus told us to. Uh, Mm -hmm. Kimball writes in his book,
0: um, picking and highlighting Bible verses from the Old and New Testaments that include the word slavery is a misuse of the Bible. And we can thank God that all slavery today is universally viewed as an evil and that Christians are uniformly united in the fight against it. But the, that that past is there. Jay, how do you process that? The, I mean, you started off your message, I thought, in a way I've never seen any anybody ever do, both you and Josh did. You start off with a quote from Hitler, which is just mind-blowing. And you say, look, look, look at this. Um, look at this. The Bible has been used by some people to justify some – pretty terrible stuff by some pretty terrible people and for some christians there's a shame in that right there's a sense of like man that's like really embarrassing like how how do i make sense of that how how, what advice do you have for folks who who you know know, uh, trying to make sense of the ugliness of some of that christian history because it's there that's and that makes people go oh man that's weird
1: yeah yeah i mean i think it's important to to recognize that um You know, as Bobby said, that plenty of people, ourselves included sometimes, uh, don't do the work. We we misread the Bible. Mm, And so this is a part of, uh, first of all, slavery is a part of American history, and we have to own that. Um, But, you know, Hitler, for example, that's a part not of, I would say that is not a part of Christian history. A lot of people want to make it a part of Christian history. It's not a part of Christian history if by Christian we mean truly the way of Jesus, which is, as Bobby said, New Covenant, the way of love, right? And um, what Hitler, that Hitler quote and Hitler's atrocities, that's a part of lots of different forms of history, but it is certainly a part of the history of misreading, misusing, and abusing the scriptures.
2: Hmm. And there's
1: a rich history of that included in that history is um, the transatlantic slave trade there and we, we read, Josh and I both read a different quote of a pastor an american pastor in the south in the in the 19th century who essentially says we need a biblical view of slavery And you would hear those first lines and go, okay, he's going to deconstruct and destroy slavery here. And instead, what he does is say, basically, slavery is this thing that we really cherish, and the Bible instructs us to to do. And that's that's also a history of, that's a part of the history of misreading, misusing, and abusing the scriptures. And sadly, and tragically, it's a part of American history. So, uh, you know, it gets dicey, because it's a part of our nation's history. We have to reckon with it. We still live in the fallout of it. I would yeah. I would suggest yeah. still live in the fallout of it, just as we all still live in the fallout of sin in Genesis three. Um, we still also, as a part of that, live in the fallout of um, the atrocity of the transatlantic slave trade, and we feel its echoes and reverberations even today in our country.
2: Mm-hmm. In yeah
1: problem but the beauty of what we're trying to do here is we're not shying away from those things we're confronting those dark realities and we're doing so with the very same scriptures that mm. these people abused and misread and misused to prop up what i would suggest was basically um, selfish motivations. I mean, I th- mm-hmm. I've read, uh, after Josh put me onto this one quote, I, I just did a deep dive and read a bunch of sermons by um, pro-slavery pastors in the 19th century. They're hard to read because they're like, you know, right, English back right. different. Brand. But when you read them, what you recognize is, man, it, it becomes pretty clear. They, they um, Slavery was a profitable business, yeah. And this was have economic ramifications to deconstruct yeah. the system of slavery at that time. So what they do is they cherry pick Bible verses and galvanize a religious people
2: mm-hmm. to think
1: that God endorses slavery. And what yeah. we did this past Sunday in the teaching was hopefully show how clear the Bible is yeah. on this fact. And I'm grateful that Um, It was actually followers of Jesus, not just today, but followers of Jesus back then, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, names like Wilberforce and Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth and Elijah Lovejoy and John Wesley and Charles Finney and, um, you know, Beecher Stowe and all these names on and on followers of Jesus compelled by it, by a deep, rich reading of scripture. Mm -hmm. They weren't just like, hey, slavery is wrong. They were like, oh. The Bible tells us slavery mm. is wrong, and uh, that's the tradition we need to be a part of, to be yeah. followers yeah. of Jesus who read the Bible in a way that leads us to the way of Jesus, which is so clear, not just against slavery, but against division, you know, mm-hmm. by race. And, um, you know, gender, all these other things. I mean, that Galatians 3 passage, like, no Jew or Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. And um, this uh, incredible theologian, Esau Macaulay, he's got this quote, Josh and I quoted him. He describes that passage. This is not about like, hey, I don't see any color. That's not what Paul is saying. Macaulay says it this way. And Macaulay has a PhD. He's a black theologian in Chicago, one of the brightest minds in um, New Testament theology today. He says, God's vision for his people is not for the elimination of ethnicity to form a colorblind uniformity of sanctified blandness. First of all, let's just stop there. That's one of the most brilliant (laughs) sentences. Sanctified
0: blandness.
1: It's one of the best sentences I've ever read. And then he says, instead, God sees the creation of a community of different cultures united by faith in his son as a manifestation of the expansive nature of his grace. First of all, I could write a million sentences and never write two sentences like that. That's incredible. (laughs) And two, that's it right there. It's Mm -hmm. like we're not becoming colorblind. Um, We're seeing life in the fullest color in ways Mm. that we don't. See, that's what God is interested in. And and the Bible pushes us in that direction.
0: Mm,
3: Yeah, I love that. I love what you just said, Jay. I love that it was, in many cases, as these enslaved Black Americans began to read and be educated for themselves, they began reading and doing the hard work of studying the scriptures on their own as they learned to read. And what they found was, they found how this terrible institution was being propped up by the misreading. They actually saw the errors in it and began to preach the right teaching of the scriptures. They began to preach what God intended through the scriptures, and it was the very gospel, it was the very same Bible, read rightly, that led and backed up and supported the entire civil rights movement and helped undo the unjust misreading Of it. And so I just love that people led by the Spirit of God began to do the hard work and then God's Spirit revealing truth to them. And as they stepped forward in courage, confronting those who were misreading it, and it took tons of courage and put their lives on the line. And I love the fact that it was God's Word that did not go out void, right? His Word, read rightly, had major effect and actually upended and changed. Change life as we know it, and so I just again it, it goes back to the power of God's word and the, the 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 courage and the the intelligence of those Black Americans who began reading it and seeing it for what it what it was and seeing the misreading, and so part of this also comes to um, something that I think ties into this conversation, and that is especially in our world today, there's just there's no there's a reluctance to embrace any sort of hint of absolute truth. It's almost like when you think of is there truth? Is there objective reality? Is there objective truth? It feels almost um, non-humble. <laughs> it feels almost arrogant to be like, well, I know what's true. And so we, we, I think we react against that because people have used that in negative, terrible, evil ways. But, but what this is showing us, I think, is that there is truth. Jesus embodies it. It's found in the scriptures we can actually access that truth, though it takes some work. And as we do that, when we live that out, we see it have effect in our world in significant ways. To say that there is no like absolute, all of a sudden puts us on par with going, well, this feels right or this feels wrong. And again, that gave those slave owners, evil slave owners, that that was the very basis they were using to say, well, this feels right. It sure justifies my lifestyle. And it's Mm -hmm. like, wow. Um, we, we've got to, we've got to, along with the, the conversation here, we've got to embrace the beauty that there is a truth that we can actually discover humbly. We go after it. And as we, was, as we see it take effect in the world, it leads to life and love and freedom and people loving God and loving one another. And so um, anyway, I think that's part of the conversation here. I thought I'd throw
0: it in, but yeah, love what Jay just shared. It reminds me of that Justice Louis Brandeis who once said the solution to bad speech is not no speech. It's more speech, good speech. And Mm. and so to to tie this in, it's like the solution to bad theology is not no theology. It's proper theology. It's good theology. It's kind of a a reversal of that. Um, If if I could ask a
2: question, um, how, how do we uh, start to attune ourselves to recognize what is bad theology and what is Good theology. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Well,
0: clear. Clearly, it's whatever anybody says that I disagree with is bad theology, Bobby. Come on, (laughs) we've already covered this. Come
2: on, but (laughs) no, you you understand what I'm saying, right? I do. I do. We're we're, like if we're we're asking people to do the work and you know really understand their Bibles. um, The how, where do they begin? Like, how do you start to recognize uh, other than read your Bible, but there is there some sort of like should we should we be asking God for wisdom? Should we be asking God for discernment? Like where where do we start so that um, so that if we do encounter that bad theology, we're not just continually continuing to be complicit in it. That we're we're able yeah. to understand what is bad and start to break away from it. Mm.
3: Man, that is like the million dollar question. That's a great question. I think some of it was addressed a little earlier. Um, Jay mentioned the importance of reading and community. I think that's a huge one. Uh, Bobby, if we're just sort of, you know, obviously reading just on our own, coming up to our own little conclusions, we're gonna, you know, most likely get a bit get a bit tweaked. Um, I think I think another thing is is having a, a you know, a big grasp on the whole of the Bible. I think we talked a little bit about that earlier. I mean, some of the slave owners were, they weren't. They were. They were omitting entire passages in the Book of Exodus that explicitly say to kidnap somebody and put them in forced slavery is is punishable by death. Like so, they they either were just completely uh, overlooking those intentionally. They didn't want to bring those up because it threatened their economic structure and comfort and whatever. Um, or they just didn't do the work of reading the entire scripture. So I think we've got to have a big grasp of the whole of the narrative, read in community. And yeah, I think those questions of what is this doing in my life? Um, Bobby, you had that just great e- expression of just like, you know, I want to come before God and and, he- and read his word and say, Lord, where in my life do you need to make changes? And that kind of posture is so crucial to be reading rightly. Um, those are some things that come to mind. I think you know, Jesus has got to tie into this, right? I mean, the entire Bible is all pointing to one figure, one person. It's all leading us to the person of Jesus Christ. And the entire goal of our walk and relationship with him is to to be conformed to his image, to look more like him, to love people like he did. So I think one of our major values should be, hey, as I'm reading scripture, if I'm reading it rightly I think what it should be doing in me is changing my heart to become more Christ-like. And that doesn't yeah. mean just, you know, cause again, our culture can go, Oh good. As long as you're just loving everyone and then living however you want. Like, no, <laughs> uh, Jesus actually has an ethic for us in terms of how we are to live. And, and so yeah. that we do come back to, am I looking more like Jesus? Am I loving people more like Jesus? The Bible talks about the, that there's fruit that would come from a person who's, who's walking with this Jesus who's reading the scriptures this fruit would appear in their life like they would be like a tree and fruit would come out of their their life things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control mm-hmm. are you know one thing we could ask is are these things happening in my life as i'm reading the bible if i'm becoming more of a person who has no self-control and yeah. i just sort of give into any you know, any sort of desire of my heart, that's probably not reading the Bible rightly. Or if I'm becoming a person who's not gentle, you know, but I'm just angry all the time, you know, or I am unloving or I'm unkind. It's like, okay, I'm probably not reading the scriptures rightly. So I think those are some things I think that can help.
1: Yeah, I, I love what Josh just said. I agree wholeheartedly with all of that. I would also add, uh, you know, going back to the earlier point, Josh just mentioned it again as well. Reading in community is a fascinating thing when you talk about the Bible, because um, I think the community expands. It is way more expansive than we believe it to be, or that we think it is. So what I mean by that is, one, I think one of the ways that we guard against bad theology and at least pursue good theology, not that we'll ever have perfect theology, right. but live in pursuit of good theology means doing as much as we can to, to read in the context of the community, the church community of our local church. This is one of the reasons why we have this lab. How to read the Bible on Monday nights? That's a community of Westgate folks who are trying to read the Bible and study it together. This is the reason why we have life groups, so that you can engage the Scriptures together in community. But that community expands when we gather uh, on Sundays to worship. Um, we gather around the Word. You know, we gather around the Word of God to learn in community. Uh, but then the community expands beyond that to like the global church you know, to read broadly and widely about what faithful followers of Jesus all over the world are saying with their various perspectives. And then um, the, the, the church throughout history. And tradition is not a sexy word these days, but I think we've lost something in um, sort of segmenting tradition to just like the old and all we want is the new and the cutting edge. I have found that one of the ways One of the best ways to guard against bad theology is to ask the question, what has the church, the Christian church, predominantly over the course of its 2,000 years said about this issue or about this particular matter? And and I think when we ask those questions, what we find is that although you can always find nuggets throughout church history where people said like really crazy off-the-wall stuff, the general stream of theological thinking throughout Christian church history always navigates us nearer and nearer to orthodoxy into to Christian faith. I, I um I've been listening to this podcast called Passages, which is about the Nicene Creed and like the story behind the Nicene Creed. And people have all this critique. It's like, oh, it just Constantine and these people in power who just got together and decided to put together the canon of the Bible, and that's like not at all what happened. It was richly embedded in Christian community and history. And um, so there you go. Those are just some tag-ons I would add to everything Josh just said.
0: Yeah, I'm super grateful for for all that. I I do think we have to be careful who disciples us. Careful, you know, yeah. And and I think being in, and then also, like Jay said, there's no... um, there's really no substitute for being in an actual community with actual people. I mean, why why do I trust the the leaders uh, that I get to serve with? I get to see their lives, you know. I get to I get to have convos with them. They challenge me. Um, hopefully, something I I say can help and inspire them. And and that's what that's what this is about. And I hope that I hope I, that we I, can be that kind of community.
3: I want to add something too, and I think you guys are saying this, but I think it's might hopefully it's important to say. And that is that some of us can get into cloisters of communities where um, it's actually an unhealthy one. And it's being, you know, the Bible's being misread or mispreached, or and we're and we're getting all kinds of faulty conclusions. But we're in a little echo chamber of a little community uh, that is yeah. simply reinforcing what is false. And I think that's kind of what was happening in America. Sadly, is week after week in the pulpit these pastors evil uh, we're, we we're, we're preaching false teachings from God's word, justifying slavery in America. Mm-hmm. And people were just like, oh, this is right. This is my community. They're all saying it. So, um, my challenge to all of us, and this has been helpful for me is to, is to be friends with a lot of different Christians from a lot of different churches, <laughs> churches that may be different than yours, people who may have slightly different, you know, practices or expressions of worship or, or whatnot. But, but, but basically have an awareness of the global church, like just, you know, and what that looks like is just have friends that are part of different churches, go visit different churches. Um, you know, I love that one thing that we do as Westgate is we team up with a lot of different kinds of churches all throughout the Bay Area, tons of different denominations. And I, there's just something so beautiful and powerful and necessary for us to be linked arm in arm with with believers from different streams of of, of the Christian faith, I think it helps keep us balanced and it'll keep us yeah. kind of out of those weird pit 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 hole you know uh, you know potholes of of weird you know funky communities that are whatever inbred yeah, kind of, <laughs> uh, bad
0: bad echo chambers, as it were.
3: Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. Well, guys, uh, thank. I, we're probably out of time here. We could probably keep talking, but I appreciate you guys coming on and uh, for all that you shared. I'm grateful to be in uh, a community with you guys uh, that's trying to live out the things that Paul says in Galatians. This beautiful uh, community of all sorts of different folks who are all united. Um, not that our differences are, what was the term that Esau Macaulay said? Blandness. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Monochromatic blandness, but yeah. that we are oh, yeah
1: sanctified, sanctified blandness.
0: Sanctified blandness. Uh that we're so different and yet uh stamped on all of us. We we're stamped with Christ first and foremost, but uh we're all united in that. So super grateful to be in the church with you guys. And uh thanks for being on here, guys. I super appreciate it. And uh we'll see you see you next week. Thanks, yeah. guys. Thanks, Dave. Hey guys, yeah, thank you. want to thank Bobby and Jay and Josh for coming on. Join us next week where we examine whether or not the Bible is anti-science. So again, not controversial at all. See you next week.